Well, good morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? And uh, I'm excited to be here and open God's Word with you. Have you ever had a bad day? I never have. Uh, it, it was a good day this morning, but we've all had, we've all had bad days, right? We, we missed the alarm. The coffee burns, the car doesn't start, we miss the bus, uh, our, our homework's on the table at home, right, or we, we um, forget our lunch. We've all had bad days, and um, so th- the question that we're going to answer from God's Word this morning is, how do we respond to those bad days? How do we respond to difficulties? And I'm really excited for our passage in First Peter this morning because it gives us some great hope when it comes to the difficulties that we face, the ones that um, are welcome and the ones that are not welcome as well. So, um, before we get to our passage this morning, let's, uh, let's do some, uh, some situating of ourselves in the book of 1 Peter. We're, we're in 1 Peter. We've made it through chapter 1, and 1 Peter is about living differently in difficult days, right? Living differently in difficult days. Peter is writing to a group of believers who are exiles in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They're exiles because they've been driven from their homes because of their faith. Their faith has gotten them persecuted, and they've been uh, exiled. They've been uh, pushed out of where they lived. These are difficult days for these believers. They're, they're They're not having a good day in some regards, right? We also learn that these difficulties are, they're not an accident, though. They're God-ordained, God has his hand on them, and their purpose is for the tested genuineness of their faith. God has brought these into their lives for a reason. So, can you say that you desire these sort of difficulties in your own life? Can you say that you want persecution or trials or, or just difficulties, right? Well, let me, let me ask it another way, because I think your answer might be no. Let me, ask it, let me ask it another way. Do you want your doctor to be tested? Or do you want your mechanic to be tested? Or do you want your pastor to be test, tested? Well, of course, you want other people in your life to be tested, right? Your, your doctor is doing your heart surgery or replacing your knee or caring for your baby, and your mechanic is working on your brakes or your suspension that you are trusting with your family in the car, right? And your pastor, they've been given oversight of your spiritual life to guide you and to shepherd you. So you want them to be tested. You, you want to know that they're the real deal for good reasons, right? But, but do you want to be tested? Do you desire persecution or trials or, or at least difficulties? Do you desire them to prove the genuineness of your faith? Maybe difficulties don't sound particularly de- de- attractive, right? Maybe we don't like them, but does knowing that your faith is the real deal, does, does that sound desirable to you? So this is the, this is the book of First Peter, living differently in difficult days. Peter's aim in this book is to instruct them on how to live differently, but not just uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it, but you have hope, and so you can live differently. 
in these difficult days. You're experiencing trials and difficulties, but your hope is in something that transcends the trials and difficulties you're facing. You have been born again to a living hope, not through good works or something bound to this earth that's going to perish, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our faith and hope are in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says that we can have hope because of his living and enduring word of God. So I say to you that you do want to be tested. You do want to face at least difficulties so that you can have assurance of your faith. You can have assurance of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Because when we're, when we're faced with difficulties, it's like we're being squeezed, right? And what comes out of our life when we face difficulties is um, the contents of our heart. It, it oozes out. And you want difficulties so that you can see what oozes out of your heart is true faith. So all this, all this detail is significant because our passage this morning in, in 1 Peter 2 starts with the word therefore, right? So what's the therefore, therefore? And chapter 2, in my opinion, as a non, not, a, not a biblical scholar, is a poor, it's a poor chapter break, right? Because we, we think it's a, it's a new thing, but it's really not. Peter's talking about the same thing he's been talking about. We have to understand what the, the therefore points back to so we can understand what he's about to say and, and have a deeper understanding of what Peter is talking about in these verses. So even before we get to our text, though, I have a challenge for you. Um, the book of 1 Peter is rich. It's full of connections. It's full of Peter making an argument. And so all sorts of connections, all sorts of thoughts come together as you read the, the book of 1 Peter, and especially 1 Peter chapter 1 through our passage this morning. So my challenge for you is to, this week, make those connections of 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I made a lot of them as I was doing our introduction, right? We talked about the living hope that we've been born into. Talked about God's purpose of the tested genuineness of their faith. Talked about the precious blood of Jesus. Talked about um, all sorts of other things that came out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And so um, my challenge for you is as a family this week, sit down, take a time, maybe 30 minutes. It might not even take you that long. And um, take 1 Peter chapter 1 through 2 verse 3 and make 50 connections. Make 50 observations about 1 Peter chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 3. And um, I don't think it'll take you that long, right? What sort of things does Peter repeat? How does he describe God? What commands does Peter give? So that's my challenge for you this week. And maybe, maybe the sound of that makes you him and haw a little bit. You're like, Mitch, I don't have a printer. I can't, I'm not going to make all those, all those notes in my Bible. And I don't, I don't have a printer at home. Well, your church loves you. And Sylvia printed 200 copies of 1 Peter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. And so that's, that excuse is off the table, right? Um, and I'm disappointed because I had my own copy and I left it in my office. But we, we didn't do 10-point ten, ten font on 8.5 by 11 paper. We did 12-point font on 8.5 by 14 legal size paper, right? So these, they're big and there's wide margins, so you have plenty of space. 
to mark that puppy up, right? So bring a highlighter, bring a pen, and um, that's my challenge to you this week. Make some, some Bible observations about First Peter, and I think that will, and that'll make me happy because it was my challenge, right? But that's going to serve you, really, that's going to serve you as we continue to go through First Peter, right? Peter's making an argument, and so he starts in chapter 1. And we're in chapter 2. So go ahead and open your Bible if you haven't already. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You can follow along with me. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So in these verses, 1 Peter 2, 1-3, Peter is giving his readers hope for responding to their trials. Hope for responding to their trials. And this is such an important aspect of our Christian lives because we will always face difficulties, right? Maybe um, our, our facing of persecution and trials will be limited, but we're always going to face difficulties. Right? We live in a sin-cursed world. We're always going to face disappointment and hurt. And we need to expect, Peter does say this, we need to expect to face persecution and trials in some way because of our faith. So when those situations come, how do you respond? Will your, will your response to difficulty reveal a greater faith and hope in the Lord, or will it reveal something else? We, we need this passage because in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of difficult days, we will be tempted to respond according to our flesh. We're going to be tempted to respond in some ways that don't honor the Lord. And so Peter instructs his readers, he's instructing us with two actions that shape how we respond to difficulty. Two actions that shape how we respond to di- difficulty. So the first one is in verse 1. The first one is rid yourselves of sinful responses. Rid yourself of sinful responses. So look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. It says, rid yourself, strip off, put away these five responses that are sinful responses to difficulty. And we see them here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So let's, let's just look at each of them briefly to understand what they are so we can know how to put them off, right? Malice. Malice is intent to make trouble. Intent to make trouble for someone else. Right? Planning to, to do something to someone because you have something against them, right? Planning ill towards a teacher because they gave you a bad grade, right? Putting a, <laughs> makes me think about the, um, the sound of music. The Von Trapp kids put a frog in Maria's pocket because they didn't like her for some reason. They, they had intent to do trouble to her, right? Or, or maybe another example would be road rage, right? You, you cut me off. I need to ride your tail, right? I need to cut you off. I need to honk you, right? Intent to make trouble for someone because of something that they've done. We need to put all of, all of that off, all malice off. And then he says all deceit, all deceit. Tricking someone 
to believe something that's false, right? Uh, the classic, you've got somebody, something on your shirt trick where you, you flick somebody's, that, that's a, a silly form of deceit, right? But we're, we're tricking someone to think that there's something on their shirt. Well, we do that in lots of other ways as well. We, if I can just get them to think this, they'll, get, they'll, they'll give me what I want, right? They'll, they'll do that if I, can just, if I can just convince them that I really, really need it, even, even if I don't. All deceit needs to be put off. How about hypocrisy? Behavior that's not consistent with who you really are. I'm teaching life plugged in class, and when I, when I think about hypocrisy, my mind goes to social media. We, we put a, a, an image of ourselves on social media so often that's not, it's not true to ourselves, right? We sort through selfies or pictures so that we, we put the one that people, we know that they'll like that, right? They, they'll see our happy family, even though we might not be, right? Or... Um, we, we talk to our spouse in such a way or our friends in such a way that we try to convince them that we're somebody that we're not. Hypocrisy, it's a sinful response. How about envy? Resenting what someone else has. Or, or more than that, actually, resenting someone for what they have that you don't. It's not just resenting the thing, it's resenting someone. Maybe they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse who cares for them like you wish you had. So you, you hate them for it. Maybe they have athletic ability that you want and can't, can't just, you can't get it. Or they have an iPhone, or they have a pool, or they have a car, or they have a house that you want, and so you just you can't stand them because of what they have. Envy. And then every kind of slander. Right, gossip or biting behind someone, putting someone down by saying something that um, you wouldn't say to their face. The, the Greek word that's used here for slander is katalalias. If you, it's, it's like an onomatopoeia sort of word, right? Buzz or meow. If you, if you say it over and over again, it kind of sounds like the word slander, right? Katalalias, katalalias. It's like a, a hissing sound, right? Biting behind someone at their back. Your boss or your coach or that friend that hurts you. There's a significant modifier in front of most of these, right? In front of malice, he says all. In front of deceit, he says all. And after slander, he says of every kind. And this is a, it's a black and white sort of term, right? It's um, it's not a little bit of, it's, it's not put off most of it, it's, it's put off all of it. Rid yourselves of all of these things, like a jacket that you're taking off and you throw to the side. Get rid of all of these things. And it's only, it's only connected to three of these characteristics, these responses, but he's, he means it for all of them. He's not saying that a little bit of hypocrisy and a little bit of envy is okay, right? He means it for all of them. God's standard is for us to conform every square inch of our lives, every nook and cranny of our lives to the image of Jesus. Right? And this, this is hard when we face trials. This is hard when we face difficulties. It's even harder when we face persecution. So I'm not here to pretend that it's easy, and I don't think Peter would as well, right? We, we know how Peter died. 
he was martyred for his faith. He faced persecution. So for him to write these things is no small thing. Even still, when we face trials, we're going to be tempted to respond in these ways. We're going to be tempted to respond according to our flesh. How can we understand why we do that, right? Well, you've heard me say before, and I'm going to say it here again, we we do what we do because we want what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want. So when we respond in these ways, what is that revealing about what we want? What is that revealing about the craving that we're pursuing when we respond to difficulty in these sinful ways? When I don't believe that God is a just judge, I take matters into my own hands and give people the malice that I think they deserve because um, they deserve it. I want justice. But God is just, and he does justice. When I don't like the gifts that God gives me, I take matters into my own hands, and I deceive you to give me the gifts that I really want. God is the best gift giver ever. When I believe that God made a mistake in how he made me, I take matters into my own hands and convince you of a certain me that's just not true. I I want you to like me and I want you to love me, and so I try to convince you of someone that's not actually me. But God didn't make a mistake in any way that he formed or fashioned me. When I, in my finite wisdom, think I deserve something that you have, I take matters into my own hands and I make you feel bad for having it when I want it. But God is sovereign and works everything out for our good and his glory. When I believe that God doesn't see the hurt that I'm feeling, I take matters into my own hands and put you down because your words sting. I I want to be loved and accepted. God doesn't miss anything that happens in our lives. No circumstance takes him off guard or causes him to change his love for us. So what this really comes down to, we, we do what we do because we want what we want, and we want these things. When we respond to difficulty in these sinful ways, we're showing that we don't trust that the Lord is good. We don't trust that the Lord is good. And let's, let's not blow by this idea. The question of God's goodness is a big deal. Many people don't believe in God because they couldn't believe that he would be good. How could war or viruses or persecution or death or shootings, how could these things happen if God is good and if he's sovereign? This is a big challenge for them, right? But you and I, let's, let's focus on us too. We struggle with trusting God's goodness also. Doubting God's goodness doesn't just stop people from believing in him. It, it stops us from responding to difficulties in a way that honors Jesus. We, we doubt his goodness when we respond in these ways. We think that hanging on to just a little bit of one of these things, right? Just a little bit of malice, just a little bit of hypocrisy. We think it'll be okay. It helps us feel like we're in control, but that's not true. This is a dangerous position to be in, doubting God's goodness. It's, it's like a poison that deteriorates our spiritual life. It sucks it out of us. It snatches our hope. 
It's, it's a poison. And, and just like if you were bitten by a poisonous snake, a venomous snake, you need the antidote. You need the antidote fast. When we find ourselves responding in these ways, these sinful ways, we need to take Peter's second action, his, his second action step, so we need to rid ourselves of sinful responses and put on a desire for God's pure word. Put on a desire for God's pure word. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 now. It says, Like newborn babies crave, spir- crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Notice this command, and it is a command. He says, crave, do this. Crave pure spiritual milk. It's a command. It's, it's not like the first step, which was to put off actions, put off a behavior. It's a command to put on a desire. It's a command to put on an affection, long for, crave, desire, run after God's pure spiritual milk. When I experience difficulties, even trials and persecutions, we must long for, crave God's word. The antidote to changing sinful responses to difficulty is to put on a desire, to change our desire to crave God's word. So this, this makes me think about a story. And it's a story about Emily that I have permission to share. When she was pregnant with Caitlin, um, she had, you know, pregnant women have different cravings. And so she had a craving, and it was for Dairy Queen buffalo chicken snack wraps. And the, the Dairy Queen by our house, it, it, it wasn't on the grill and chill menu. So if you go down, if you go down here, you can't get these. They were just at this, the Dairy Queen in Avis. Pennsylvania, right? And so they had this buffalo chicken um, snack wrap, and it, the, it just hit the spot for her. She would crave it so greatly. And so one, one time we were dra- traveling out of town, and we had to stop at a different DQ. And so the whole 20 minutes there, she's looking forward to buffalo chicken snack wraps. And her, her mouth is watering, starting to think about these buffalo chicken snack wraps. And we we get to the drive-thru, it's our dinner on, my, on our way to our parents, and so we, we get to the menu in the drive-thru, and they're not there. And she, she, wasn't, she wasn't happy, she's like, what are we going to do? They're, buff- they're not there. Her mouth is watering, she, she's been thinking about these for more than a half hour, because we decided to go to DQ even before we left, and so she's like, what are we going to do? So I, I'm the hero of the story. <laughs> Right, I can be because I have the mic. Right, I quick thinking. Well, they, we can get chicken strips and get a cup of of buffalo sauce. And she's like, "Okay, yeah, that sounds good." So we we got it, and she eats it all. It, it's delicious. It hits the spot, and we get another half hour down the road, and she starts thinking about what she had for dinner, and her mouth starts watering again, <laughs> and her craving just was insatiable. Right. So, our verse this morning, it's not talking about Dairy Queen, Buffalo, Chicken, Snack Wraps. It's talking about God's Word. 
right? It's, it says pure spiritual milk, but we, we know it's God's word. It's, it's the context that we're in, right? Look at verse 23. It says, you've been born again, verse 23 of chapter one. You've been born again, not by a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So, so Peter's command to crave pure spiritual milk is a command to crave God's word, God's pure word. It's, like any, it's unlike anything else in the whole world. God's word, it's free from error or blemish. It's not diluted or watered down. His word is alive and active. It pierces our, our hearts and, and discerns our thoughts. God's word is our only sufficient authority for what we believe and how we live. God's word is fruitful. It always comes back profitable. It's, it's everything that we need to live for him. God's word gives us hope. It speaks to our hearts like nothing else does. There's no substitute for God's pure spiritual milk. If you want to know how to deal with the problems that you're facing, you will only find the answers in God's word, right? The, the trouble, the problem, the questions that we face, the, the answers and the solution, the help that we need is in God's word. Our world has nothing to offer us. So crave it, he says. Desire it. Long for God's word. His, his command is not to put on knowledge. It's not to put on behavior. It's not to fix it in that way. His command is to put on a desire, to put on a craving. Peter gives an even better illustration than our DQ story, right? He says, crave it like a baby does. Crave it like a newborn baby craves their mother's milk. He's not accusing them of being spiritual infants like Paul does in 1 Corinthians. He's not saying that you're infants and so you only need milk. He's saying, crave it like a baby does. Focus on how a baby craves milk. Uh, babies, right, especially newborn babies, act as if their life depends on their next feeding, right? Sometimes 18-month-olds depend or act as if their, their life depends on their next meal, right? Sometimes teenagers act as if their life depends on their next meal, right? Does that describe your hunger for God's word? Does that describe how you run after God's spiritual milk? Are you unsettled until you get your next feeding from God's word? Are you, are you not able to relax not, not as if you're anxious, but do you feel like your life depends on the nutrients, the hope that you get from God's word? That you get only when you go to his spiritual milk. The nutrients that you find there. And this is, this is what Peter is describing it as, nutrients. God's word was preached to us and God's word is how we've been born again. God's word is our means for spiritual growth, to grow up into our salvation. That's what he says happens when we crave God's word, so that we will grow up in our salvation. When we crave the Bible and spend time in it, we grow into maturity. When we feed on God's word, we grow up like we're supposed to. 
Jesus himself attested to this. He, he said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father, right? Let's, let's remember the problem that we had with our sinful responses. When we, when we respond sinfully to difficulty, we doubt God is good. We don't trust that God is good. God's word is our nutrients for growth because it is the place that we discover that God is good. Even when I don't feel like it, I need to run to God's word because that's where I find that he is good. That's what verse 3 says. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's talking about our salvation. He's talking about the goodness that God has showed to us. God's kindness and his love. We remember our salvation when we go to the scriptures. Peter's not excusing spending time in God's word if you don't feel like it. He's, he's not saying, if you, if you don't feel like it, you can just wait until, until you desire it. He, he's, not, he's not saying that. He's saying that we need to desire it. We need to go to God's word. As I spend time there, I will want to be there. As I spend time in God's word, I will, I will want to crave his word more. I guarantee it. it we could say it like this, right? It's Mitch, you're saying that I need to read God's word so that I can see that he's good, so that I can crave his word, so that I can read his word, so that I can see that he's good, so I can crave his word. And then when I'm there, I can, I can see that he's good, I can desire it, I can, I can crave his word and go back there, right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Look at chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying that this is an ongoing process. Day in and day out, as we follow him, we are receiving the end result of our salvation. We're receiving growth in Christ, becoming like Christ, and the result is joy. The result is seeing that the Lord is good. So let's, let's connect all of this. In this life, we can bank on facing trouble, difficulties, trials, even persecution. And as we face these, we're going to be tempted to respond in a way that is, is just to our flesh. We're going to re- be tempted to respond with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and, and slander. When we respond like this, we we put ourselves in a cycle of living more and more for ourselves. We will lack joy, we will be empty, and we won't taste that the Lord is good. Our lives will be smaller and smaller. The the world that we create for ourselves will become constricted, right? Think about the bottom of of a funnel. When liquid goes through a funnel, it, it gets into a tighter and a tighter circle. But um, we're the funnel, and the bottom of the funnel is, is small. We don't, we don't want our lives to be like that. That's about us. We, we don't have joy. We don't see that the Lord is good when we live for ourselves. When we respond in these poisonous way, the, the spiritual life is sucked out of us. But on the other hand, 
I can respond to trials by craving God's word, his source of hope in my life. I can seek and run after the ways that he wants me to respond and create a world that's larger and larger where I have joy, where I can taste and see that the Lord is good. I have hope because everything that I'm facing, even the trials and persecution, in those, I see that the testing of my faith is producing an assurance of my faith, an assurance of my hope. I want to read a quote from a theologian named George Herbert Morrison. He says this about God's word. He says, Whenever the Almighty satisfies his creatures, he gives them a drink as abundant as the seas. Think of the Bible, an ancient book, and yet intensely modern and practical. Think of the ages that have gone since it was written. Think of the life that we now live, and of the stress and strain unknown in the quiet east. To me, it is wonderful that the Bible should be of any use at all now and not have moved into the quiet libraries to be the joy of unworldly scholars. But one thing is certain, the Bible meets the needs of modern life. As a practical guide, there is no book to touch it. There's not a problem you are called to face and not a duty you are called to do. There's not a cross you are compelled to carry, not a burden you are forced to bear. But your strength for it all will be as the strength of 10 if you make a daily companion of your Bible. The Bible never offers a drink from shallow waters. Think about that. The Bible never offers a drink from shallow waters. There you do not find a set of petty maxims, but the everlasting love of God. You do not find any shallow views of sin, but a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that is the secret of the Bible's permanence. When our little systems have ceased to be for sin and sorrow and life and death and duty, it gives us a drink as abundant as the seas. You can exhaust the cup or drain the goblet, but you cannot exhaust the spring fed from the deeps. Just because the words of Jesus Christ spring from the depths of that divine humanity, they will save and strengthen the obedient heart to the last recorded syllable of time. This passage gives us hope. When we put off sinful responses and crave God's pure milk, we can have hope even in the midst of our trials and difficulties. We, we can grow up into our salvation and we can taste that the Lord is good. So, is that true of your life? Do you crave God's word? Do you desire God's pure spiritual milk? Peter has made it clear that the Christian is capable of putting off these sinful responses and he has everything that he needs to put on the response of craving God's word. So, what does your daily time in God's word say about your desire for God's perspective on the circumstance that you're in? What does your church attendance look like? And what does that say about what you 
think about God's word and his people? What type of counsel do you seek or the books you read or the podcasts you listen to or the social media influencers that you follow? What do they say about the type of counsel that you care about in your life? Think about the last difficulty that you had, right? Whether it was a conversation, you got bad news, you faced ridicule, ridicule or you were slandered. Think about that last time. And where did you turn? What did you look to? Did you respond in one of these ways? Did you go to social media to ease the thoughts, right, and stir up envy and hypocrisy? Did you give malice back to someone? Did you go to someone else and slander the person that hurt you? Did you recall the the Bible verse that you memorized? Did you think, what does God's word say about my response? Did you you pull out your Bible right away and, and read it for some encouragement, right? What was your response? My prayer is that as we consider these verses, we would, we would recognize the sinful responses and we would crave God's word and we would have hope in the midst of the difficulties that we face. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth that it holds to save us, to redeem us, to, to make us a part of your family and to to grow us up into our salvation. Lord, thank you that you're good. We would be hopeless without that. Thank you that you're sovereign. I pray that our consideration of your word this morning, looking at how Peter instructed his readers, how he encouraged them, pointed them to you, would would stir up the same in our lives. Help your word pierce our hearts and discern where we're at. Help it convict us of sin and and, um, spur us to follow you more fully, giving our whole lives to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.